At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Today, we're going to be joined by Rod Woten, and Rod is going to walk us through all things ice fishing. We're going to be talking about ice safety, we're going to be talking about tackle and other types of ice fishing equipment, uh, some strategy, some tactics. We're going to be talking about what the fish are doing while they're underneath of the ice what kind of food they like to eat and so that kind of ties back into the tackle that we're going to be using to to catch them and uh, it's a really interesting podcast so if you're interested in learning more about ice fishing this is the podcast for you and uh, before we get started into this podcast just a friendly reminder that all of you need to go check out the Iowa Sportsman website and that's iowasportsman.com and there you're going to find more great content articles about what's going on in Iowa from a conservation standpoint to more strategy articles on fishing and hunting of all the species that we can hunt in Iowa and lastly the Iowa Sportsman website is a great place to subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine again great content delivered great right to your door So uh, be sure to go visit the website and subscribe to the magazine. Without further ado, let's get into today's Ice Fishing Podcast. All right, joining me now, Mr. Rob Woten. How you doing, man? 
I'm doing good. Good, good. All right, so today we're going to be talking about ice fishing. But before we, you know, hop into that topic, because uh, it's that time of year, how was your summer and spring? So, like, how was 2018 as a whole so far behind the, the rod and reel? Uh, it was pretty good for us. Um, we concentrate mostly in northeast Iowa fly fishing for trout. And uh, it was one of the better years we've had so far, especially the fall was really, really good for us. Um, we've had, you know, a lot of rain this year, and so it's kept stream levels up um, higher than what it would usually be, especially in the fall. So there was a lot of water, and that uh, equates to a lot of fish in the fall. That's awesome. Uh, and I, yeah. know, I know that um, northeast Iowa has, you know, a handful of trout streams, but are the trout stocked in those streams, or are they wild? You got a little bit of each. Um, so if it's rainbow trout, it's a pretty safe bed of stock because they don't actually reproduce in Iowa's waters. Um, brown trout are not native to the state. Um, they were originally stocked, but a majority of the streams up there now have a naturally sustaining reproducing brown trout populations. That's awesome. Because I can uh, yeah, re- and the, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so the brook trout, um, there actually is a strain of brook trout that's native to the state. Uh, I think most of the brook trout now are stocked St. Croix strain, but they do also reproduce in the streams. Gotcha. Now, with Iowa not being like, you know, I don't I don't feel like it would be a high population. I mean, are there daily limits, weekly limits? Like, how do you go about judging what you can keep and what you've got to throw back and how many you can keep? Yeah, so it's um, pretty, pretty cut and dried. It's, you can catch and keep five. And that's between any of the three species, so any combination. And I, I believe possession limit is 10, so two days' limit's worth would be your possession limit. Um, and then you do have to have a trout stamp before you can keep that limit. So. Right. right. So are we talking about the, the Yellow River Forest area? Um, are, are some of the streams on public ground, or do, do they go through private land? How's that work? Yeah, there's a little bit of both. I'm um, actually big and little paint Creek that run right through yellow river state forest are two of my favorite places to fish. Um, those are both public. Um, but Iowa also has streams that are stocked that are on private land. Um, you do have to get permission from the landover. Those are called the put and grow streams. So they're only stocked once a year, usually with fingerling fish. So if you, you catch a fish out of there, that's probably as close to a wild trophy as you will catch in Iowa. Um, and those fish, they don't get a lot of pressure, so they get big. Um, but even then, there is private land that uh, the DNR has arranged for access for the public. So you can only get on that land to fish. You can't go collect mushrooms or pick up sheds or anything like that. But you can you can fish that, too. And they're easy to tell because they're usually marked. And there's a wooden set of stairs called a style that goes over the fence and gives you access to the stream. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I tell you what, that's something that I definitely want to try more of because I have a, a fly rod that I never use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got it as a gift. Uh, my mom was actually got it at a garage sale. She was going to throw it out. And so she gave it to me. Um, and I had a guy just from listening to the other podcast that I do, he made me some flies. Now I don't know nice. exactly what they're, what they're for, but I, I find fly fishing so intriguing, but you know, I'm a, I'm a hardcore whitetail bow hunter. So, yep. and I've, I've had people tell me 
don't do it because once you start fly fishing and become good at it, you will fall in love with it and you won't want to do anything else. Well, the, the one saving grace for you is that some of the best times for fly fishing would be when you can't be deer hunting. So like, uh, late May through June into July, that's when all these mayfly hatches are going. Um, that's, that's when all this dry fly action is taking place. And I tell you what, to catch a trout on a dry fly is super addictive. So, you know, you could do your dry fly fishing in the summer and still have time to deer hunt in the fall and winter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what, my, uh, my in-laws have a cabin in Harper's Ferry. So I don't know. Mm. I I know that Harp, I know that uh, the Yellow River Forest is close to Harper's Ferry. So I might just have to invite myself along on one of these fly fishing expeditions that you do. Oh, we'd love to have you. That'd be great. I love taking people out. Now, the, uh, the water is a lot colder now and we got some ice that's popping up on some of these northern counties and heck even uh, down on the southern part of the state where I'm from we've had a real good cold spell throughout November and even into early December and now it's time to start start ice fishing and uh, that's going to be the meat and potatoes of today's podcast so if for someone who's listening right now and has never gone ice fishing what are some of the big things like the, the high level things that we need to really focus about before we just jump into ice fishing? Well, so the first rule of thumb is, you know, you, you hear people asking, is the ice safe? And my answer is always no, because there's no such thing as safe ice. Even when we're in the dead of winter and the ice has been growing for, you know, a month and a half and a lot of the lakes have 12 inches on them you can still have conditions where maybe there's a spring that keeps uh, the ice a little thinner or maybe waterfowl have been keeping the water open and that section froze much later than the rest of the ice. So it could be thinner. Um, there's a lot of different things that can, you know, and, and ice water never freezes uniformly either. So, you know, never assume that the ice is safe because there really is no such thing. Now there is ice that I like to call it walkable instead. And usually about the time you get to about four inches of, of ice, that's, that's, about when you can start getting out there on foot. Um, you know, I know some guys that push it, they'd like to get out there in two and a half and three inches of ice, and it's just not worth it to me. Um, I'll wait, and, you know, usually it's only another week or so before you get that just a little extra bit of thickness that makes it that much safer. Right. So how do you how do you determine? I mean, is there a person who goes out, drills some holes, and measures the ice? Or where does a person need to go to find out actually how thick the ice is before they they go out and i guess test it themselves yeah um you know there's no really good the dnr does its best to keep uh conditions updated if you read the the weekly fishing report usually they'll kind of tell you uh which lakes are probably fishable and which ones aren't um but they also tend to err on the side of caution just because of the liability you know so um a lot of times just checking it yourself is usually the best way to go because it's a little bit subjective. What one guy thinks safe might be not comfortable for, for another guy. So, um, I, you know, my spud bar is my gauge and, you know, the spud bar is what I check the ice with as I walk out. And I don't like to take other people's words because when I go through, they're not going to be there to pull me out. So I like to check it myself, see it for myself and make sure it's a thickness that I'm comfortable with. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, worst case scenario, right? We, we, we go out ice fishing, the ice cracks, we fall into it. I mean, is there any type of 
safety precautions that we need to prepare for or pieces of equipment or gear that we need to have with us uh, at all times, uh, if not just for a safety measure? Absolutely. One of the best pieces of gear to bring along is a buddy because, uh, you know, not so much so that he can rescue himself because he really shouldn't put himself in harm's way because he could have others like you, but at least you got somebody that can go for help if you do go through or can, you know, toss something to you. Um, especially early ice, we always take a throwable uh, PFD. So we grab the cushion out of the boat and uh, just throw that in our, our shack. And as we drag our shack out, if we need it, we got something we can throw to somebody. You know, take some rope. Sometimes a rope is all it takes to, to pull a person out if you can throw it to them. Um, you know, once you go through, you get water on the ice, the ice gets slippery, and it's difficult to pull yourself out. So just having a rope where you can, uh, you know, give you a little assist to get out of the ice can make all the difference in the world. Um, you know, if it's, if it's especially sketchy, wear a, P, wear a PFD, you know. Um, most of the people that go through the ice don't die because of hypothermia. You know, they don't freeze to death. They drown. So if you can keep yourself from drowning, that gives you time for rescuers to get to you. It gives you time for self-rescue. And, uh, you know, once you get out, then you can worry about trying to get warm. Um, but just being able to stay afloat is means so much. Right, right. Okay, so... You know, that's uh, safety is the most important things uh, from a safety standpoint. Is there anything else that you can think of um, that uh, maybe a beginner or beginner needs to know or a seasoned ice fisherman needs reminded of? But just check the ice as you go, because as I mentioned before, ice never freezes uniformly. Just because you're on four good, safe inches uh, in one spot doesn't mean six feet away. You might not be on an inch and a half. So check as you go, you know, use that spud bar. If you don't have a spud bar, uh, drill an auger hole and measure and, and just don't go out further than you, you find ice is safe to go out. Right. Okay. Now we get into, you know, like <clears throat> since I've started this podcast and since, since I've met my father-in-law all these years ago, fishing is, there's way more gear than like your average whitetail hunting, which I, I'm the, I'm the guy who loves to whitetail hunt and rods and reels and line and bait and lures and everything. And then now you have ice fishing, which there's just a secondary set of, uh, of gear uh, items that you need to go out and do it. Um, what are some of the basic items that we need if we want to go out and start ice fishing? Sure. So probably the, the most important piece that you, if you're going to start out, is probably the first, first piece of equipment you want to buy is an, is an auger. It doesn't have to be fancy. A nice hand auger uh, will work just great for most people, especially when they're first getting started. But unless you have a whole way to make a hole in the ice, you're not going to do a whole lot of fishing. So, I mean, I, that's more important than any electronics. It's more important than fancy graphite rods or the latest tungsten jigs. Got to have a whole way to make a way to make a hole in the ice. Um, once you have that, then you're able to get that other, other fish. Probably the second most important thing is, is to have the right clothing and, and dress properly. So you want to dress in layers. You want to wear clothing that's windproof and waterproof because they'll be flush on the ice as you drill holes. You'll be kneeling down in it, fishing at the hole. Um, the wind always blows when you're out on the ice. So having something that's windproof and waterproof is very important. And if you're not comfortable, you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to continue to do it, and your success rate is not going to be very good at all. Right. All right, so this is where it gets to the point where, like, I – the only time I've ever been ice fishing has been with someone who is 
experienced and they know how to locate the fish they know you know where to drill they had all the gear for me all that stuff so now this time of year right the, mm-hmm. This is this is first ice, right? This is what a lot of the guys are calling Correct. Fir, first ice. What are yep. the what are the fish doing right now? Right when this uh, water starts to freeze up, it's solid. We have enough. We have the four inches to get on it. What are the fish doing? So for the most part, if you were able to be out in the boat late into the fall, right before ice up, those fish are still going to be in the same locations. So if you can spend as much time in the boat before you absolutely have to put it away, you're going to have a leg up on most of the other guys that, that put their boats away, you know, weeks before freeze up. Uh, typically fish follow a shallow, deep, shallow pattern. So they're going to start shallow when things first ice up. Um, as we get ice on the lakes and the weeds or the get snow accumulation, it cuts off the sunlight to the weeds. The weeds start to die. They consume oxygen and they give off carbon dioxide which pushes the fish out to deeper waters. So by midwinter, like your crappies and your bluegills, they're going to be out on some of the deeper spots of the lake. The crappies will be suspended over the basin out in the middle somewhere. Um, so once you get past midwinter, things start to turn around, things warm up. You get uh, some melt that runs into the lake, brings in fresh nutrients, more oxygen, and that kind of wakes the fish back up. They start moving shallow again. Um, crappies start staging for their spawning patterns. Um, the perch probably have already spawned right before the ice came off. So, uh, you know, just kind of think about where you're at in that whole uh, curve of the season and uh, where the fish will be in that shallow, deep, shallow pattern. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, are, is there any type of gear similar to, I guess, a depth finder on a boat that allows you to locate fish uh, when ice fishing? Okay, there you go. You there? Yep. Okay. Uh, ask me that again. So, are there any? Uh, one second here. Fourteen minutes, so I can edit. Fourteen twenty-one. Fourteen twenty. Okay. Um, so, with that said, is there any piece of equipment like like boats have depth of finders and fish finders? Uh, mm-hmm. Do they have an ice version, right? ice fishing version of that? Yeah, you bet they do. Um, most uh, ice fishermen live and die by their flashers. Now, most guys that fish boat open water strictly, you know, flashers kind of outdated technology for them. But uh, flashers are, are where it's at for ice fishing. Um, you know, in a boat, you're allowed to troll. You can cover open water. Ice fishing, you're pretty much fishing whatever is directly below the hole you just drilled. And that's where flashers really shine. Um, not only can you see the fish, but you can see what the bottom content is. You can tell if there's weeds down there. But you can also see your, your jig as it goes down. So you can see the jig go down. You can see the fish come up to meet it. And depending on how that fish responds, you can tailor your presentation um, based on what you're seeing on your flasher. Okay. All right. So so we, we drill some holes. Um, are you the kind of guy who likes to drill several holes and uh, with, you know, several rods out? Or do you, you know, you... You drill a hole, set up uh, all your equipment, fish it for a while. If nothing happens, you move on to the next one. Or how do you – what's your strategy there? Sure. So I'll pick a piece of structure that I want to fish, and I'll drill probably a dozen holes at a time. And, um, you know, I'll kind of check them, see if they look fishy, if there's actual fish in there, uh, even better yet. 
And even though I drill a dozen holes, I may only find three or four that I think are worth fishing. So I'll drop down and I'll fish them two, three, four, maybe five minutes. And if I'm not getting anything going in that hole, then I'll move on to the next one. And that's really the beauty of the flasher. Because, again, you can see what's going on down there. Um, you can tell if you're fishing water that has fish in it or water that doesn't have fish in it. And if it doesn't have fish down there, there's no sense in sticking around and spending a lot of time there. You want to move to that hole that has the fish in it. So the, the flasher really lets you do that and really speeds up the uh, the fish finding process. Right, right. So, you know, we, we locate the fish now, okay? And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about anything about presentation or what kind of, you know, live bait versus uh, jigs or whatnot. Is there, yep. is there a quote unquote standard uh, jig or lure for ice fishing? Ice fishing jigs come in just about any shape you can imagine, but they are generally smaller than what you would use in the open water. And that's just because the fish are, the metabolism has slowed down. They're not uh, looking for a huge meal. They're just taking opportunities when they can find it. So you want to, you know, slow it down, try to match the fish's mood. So most jigs are pretty small. Um, you know, like a number 12 hook would be a pretty good-sized jig as far as ice fishing is concerned. Um, tungsten is all the rage right now. Tungsten fish is heavier than the same amount of lead, and that's important because it gets you down to fish quicker, and it also keeps the line tighter. So it's easier to detect strikes. So almost all the the uh, ice fishermen that are in the know these days are fishing tungsten jigs. Um, there's a lot. So uh, ice fishing has a legacy of live bait. A lot of guys live and die by their waxworms. And there's still a lot of guys that fish with them. A lot of fish get caught with them still. Um, uh, Euro larva is another popular bait, especially a little further north. It's not quite as available in Iowa as it is in like Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, but that's a, another good option. It's basically just the, the maggot of a, a, a bottle fly. Um, and that one works really well. They're a little tougher than a waxworm. They stay on the hook a little better. They come in uh, multiples of colors. So you kind of experiment with color there a little bit. But uh, a lot of, of a really progressive ice fishermen now are fishing with plastics. And I can kind of remember when this uh, ice fishing plastics revolution kind of started and guys were carving down their open water plastics to kind of, you know, pair them down for ice fishing to match the fish's metabolism. But now there's an amazing array of ice fishing specific plastics out there. They come in every shape and color and and size you can imagine, style you can imagine. Okay. Now with all that said, does it matter what you're dropping down that hole based off what fish you're trying to catch? Like, um, I don't, I don't know if largemouth bass are, you know, do people fish for large ice fish for largemouth or, or smallmouth bass? Because when I think of ice fishing, I think of panfish and perch and maybe even some walleye. So, you know, with yep. all that, with all that said, does, does species of fish change up what you're going to be presenting? It, it can, um, you know, we do still catch those predator species through the ice. Largemouth bass, they do get caught. Um, I don't know that people specifically target them a lot, but you can catch them. Um, the, the crazy thing is a lot of times you'll catch some of those predator fish on the same small jigs you're catching panfish on. Uh, we were just fishing a lake uh, in northern Iowa on Sunday, 
and we were catching walleyes on little panfish jigs with with euro larvae on them. Um, that being said, you can target some of the uh, the warmer water predators with uh, a little more aggressive baits like uh, jigging rapalas, um, maybe some jigging spoons, and sometimes that'll work for them, and sometimes it won't. But uh, it's very possible to catch just about anything that swims on those small panfish jigs. When we fish uh, Okaboji, you know, there's a lot of panfish up there, a lot of bluegills, and that's usually what we're fishing for. But invariably, where those panfish, there's going to be those uh, northern pike and muskies that are out there trying to prey on those those bluegills. And we're always, you know, when we, we up there, we sight fish. So you can actually watch the fish in 20 feet of water. It's like you're fishing in an aquarium. So we can see those pike and those muskies when they slide in. So we we try to lift the jig up, but invariably we'll hook into a few of them every trip because we just can't get the jig away from them quick enough. And it's just the same little jig we're catching those bluegills on. So when you when you go out uh, ice fishing, for for you personally, what is your target? Are you a pan fisherman then? Yeah, or... I, I'm mostly a pan fisherman. Um, perch are are typically my favorite fish to to fish for. We don't have a lot of great opportunities for perch in Iowa. So when I hear of a lake that's going really good for perch, it's uh, you know, I try to hit that lake up as much as I can during the winter. But there's a uh, you know bluegill and crappie right up there with the perch too for me. Gotcha. And then and then, are, I take it you just keep your limit, clean them up right there, or are you? I mean, do you catch and release like someone catches a you know catches a bass or or catches them in the summertime and throws them back? Yeah, I'm I'm largely catch and release. And a lot of it's just because I travel so much for ice fishing in the winter that by the time I get home, it's late on a Sunday night, and I just don't even have time to clean fish. So, you know, a lot of times, unless we're on a trip where we're staying somewhere and there's a nice fishing cleaning facility, I might, you know, clean a dozen or so and bring them home for the freezer. But uh, more often than not, I'm a, I'm a big catch-and-release angler. And um, I'm a real big believer in releasing the bigger fish. Cause those are the genetics that you want to keep in the gene pool. You know, there's a reason those fish got to be the biggest ones. Um, not only are they smarter, but they're physically superior. So if we can keep those genes in there and harvest some of the medium sized fish, if you want to take some fish home for the table, they're going to taste better. Um, and you're going to make sure that you're taking some of the more inferior genes out of the gene pool while you're leaving some of the more superior genes in there. Gotcha. All right. So with, um, with the you know we kind of covered the lures i mean do do people fish uh any additional live bait other than wax worms like minnows or uh, or does your strategy change like because i've i've seen people try to fish for walleye like they're they're throwing a, a bigger jig with a, a a plastic on the on the back of it yep yeah minnows are another popular choice um especially with the walleye fishermen um, perch fishermen like them too sometimes, uh, but again, the fish metabolism is, is a little slower, so sometimes they don't want a whole minnow. So sometimes we'll actually pinch the head off of a minnow and tip a jig with that or tip a jigging spoon with that. So that's a very popular tactic um, when you're fishing with walleyes, for, for walleyes with minnows. Um, walleyes are also really good if you do what they call a dead stick. And a dead stick is just a rod that you rig and you just let it sit. So you want something lively down there. You want a minnow that's going to swim around. So you, that's just a split shot and a hook. And it's usually a rod that while you're out jigging with another rod, you can watch over, you know, look across your, your setup, and you can see that, that uh, dead stick there. And dead sticks usually have a fairly sensitive tip. 
um, so that if you've got a bigger fish on, you'll see that tip going and you can run over and, and catch that fish on the dead stick. So a lot of guys do like to fish that second rod as a dead stick. Um, I like to move around enough that I don't really have time to set a dead stick up and tend to it. Um, I just run with a one jigging rod and just keep moving as much as possible. So is that, is a dead stick the one where once it's triggered, uh, the flag pops up? So that's a tip up and it is a form of dead sticking. Yeah. Okay. And, um, yep. That's, uh, it's got kind of a mouse trap set up on it where once the fish pulls on the line, um, the flag pops up and there's a lot of people that walleye fish with those. Um, there's a lot, I mean, most of the people that, that, uh, pike fish, that's what they're usually using as a tip up. So once you, you know, now we have kind of, we've talked about the lures. Now let's talk about the, the line and the, um, the actual rod and reel, because obviously, uh, you're, you're fishing with a much shorter rod. Um, and the, is there a different type of reel that you need or can you transfer, uh, off your open water summer setup to a shorter rod for ice fishing. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that do that. They transition their reels back and forth as the seasons change. Um, there are ice specific reels out there. And probably the biggest difference is that the, uh, the ice reels have a, a lube in them. That's a little, uh, better for cold weather. So it doesn't stiffen up like some of the lubes in, in open water reels. Right. Right. Now, I remember back in the day when everybody just transferred their reels back and forth as the seasons changed and you would, uh, degrease your reel, take it apart, degrease it and put, uh, oil in it. So it doesn't get stiff and freeze up on you in the cold. Um, but now you can buy reels that are, that are already made that way just specifically for ice fishing. So that's, um, you can do that either way. Um, the rods are definitely shorter and there's, a uh, Rods are kind of a deal where you get what you pay for. Um, the nice thing about the, the high-quality ice fishing rods is they're they're built to have the same parabolic curve as a full-length rod. So they're basically a six-foot rod, shrunk down to 24 inches or 32 or 20 or whatever you want to fish. And the, the good ones are graphite because you want that sensitivity. You want to be able to feel the bite and um, just have it that response that when you get a fish, you know, it's got nice cushion. It's going to cushion any runs the fish might make because typically we're fishing with lighter lines too. Gotcha. All right. So now the fish are under the ice, obviously as this ice grows throughout the, you know, throughout the winter and less sunlight gets down in, you know, through the ice into the water, or maybe even it's dark, after there's been a major snowstorm on top of the ice, right? So now we have a couple inches of snow over top of the ice and there's hardly any light getting down to the, the fish. Does the lure setup and presentation change at that point? Uh, It can, as that happens, the, the thing I always keep in mind is it, the sun usually sets underneath the ice a half hour before it does above the ice and vice versa for the sun coming up. It's usually a half hour after the sun comes up above the ice. So it's always a little darker down there than it is up here. But the fish do adjust, and they can pick up um, the same color lures you use when the water's, or when when there's more light penetration. Um, But then guys typically like to switch to the glow colors a lot, Um, some of the brighter colors. I know when I fish clearer waters, I like to use golds and metallics a lot. But as the water 
uh, either gets darker or gets more stained, that's when I'll switch to the some of the glow colors, um, some of the, the you know the fire tigers, um, some of those brighter, uh, more eye-catching colors. So you kind of want to match to your situation. You want to make sure the fish is able to see um, your lure. Obviously, they're going to be able to still feel it with a lateral line, and you know fish still eat even when the water's dingy. But uh, if we can help them out to find your jig, it might make a difference between you getting a bite and somebody you know across the way getting a bite instead. Right. Okay. So a lot of people want to be told what to do. Uh, like they'll listen to this podcast and they'll say, okay, well, you've told us a little bit of everything, but you didn't tell me what I need to do specifically. Those people are lazy, but <laughs> because I'm that, I'm that person sometimes too. Right. So yep. what, what do I need to do? Right. So you're walking into a store. You've never ice fished before. Why don't you tell us what I need to put in my cart? I, I go to Cabela's or I go to Bass Pro or I go to Shields. What products yep. do I need to push put in my cart? Or maybe even better yet, tell us what you're using. Even give us some brands that we need to pick okay. up uh, for you know for for us to start ice fishing. Right on. So. Again, a lot of it goes back to comfort for me. If you're not comfortable, you won't stay out there and fish. You're not going to be able to concentrate when you fish. So even if you do stay out and fish, you're just not going to be as, as uh, efficient. You know, your product, productivity is going to suffer. <clears throat> and I have fairly cold feet. And I've worn just about everything that's out there. I've worn the, the military Mickey Mouse boots. Um, but I'm wearing some boots that Clam Outdoors came out with this year. They're Sub-Zero boots. So I just wore those last Sunday when we were out. Now, granted, it was only 32 degrees, but my feet were actually warm. I mean, I almost wished I could take a pair of socks off. They were that warm. And you got to keep in mind, even when it's 32 degrees out, typically my feet get cold, especially when we've been out there all day. And, you know, as the sun starts to set, it cools off pretty good, and that's when I usually really notice it. And on this trip Sunday, my feet were awesome. I mean, I yeah. didn't want to take the boots off when I got home, except when I got in the house, they were just too warm. So I, I think I finally found a boot that's going to work great for me. And, uh, boy, I encourage you to, to, to give them a try because, uh, like I said, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to be able to fish effectively right. out there. Right. So comfort's important for sure. That's definitely something you want to – even if you're talking about gloves or outerwear, um, you know, something for your head keeps the heat in. You want to make sure you're comfortable out there. Right, right. Because, I mean, we, we could all probably go to the store – and buy one of those big fishing tents and a space heater and all that stuff. Although it's not necessary, it's probably, it's probably not something that you would want to buy as a beginner. Yeah. And you know, it's great that the stores have them set up this time of year because you want to go in and sit in them, flip them over, see how they fit, see what your comfort level is in them. Uh, see if you like the layout, you know, some of them have bench seats, some of them have, uh, basically a boat seat in them. Some of them have seats that swivel and slide. Um, some will have different rod storage options, different accessories as far as lighting. Um, I mean, you name it. So get out there and, and test them. And if you've got friends that ice fish, go out with them and see what they're using and, and try their gear. And, you know, make a really informed decision before you do, because some of those are a pretty good investment. So yeah, make sure you really get what you actually want before you spend the money. All right. All right. What about rod and line? <clears throat> so... There's a, there's kind of two, two schools of thought on this. The trend here lately has been toward longer and longer rods, which, you know, you think ice fishing, you know, you want a short rod as possible. 
Um, but you've got guys now that are fishing 36 and 42 inch rods. Um, one thing to keep in mind is do I fish inside a shelter or do I fish outside? If I fish inside, obviously I'm going to want a shorter rod because every time I set the hook, I'm going to be in the, into the ceiling of the fish trap and I'm going to be breaking rods. So kind of keep that in mind, you know, how do you, how do you fish the most? Um, a lot of the guys that fish the bigger predator fish, they want something a little longer. So they get a little more leverage to fight a more powerful fish. Um, and I think, so I prefer to fish to shorter rods. And I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, I kind of cut my ice fishing teeth by sight fishing up on Okaboji. So I like the shorter rod. I like the fact that I can kind of keep it up in my chest, um, keep the line out of the wind a little bit. I just think it's a little more intimate. It puts me a little better contact with the fish. So that's something you're going to want to try maybe both schools of thought and see which one um, you prescribe to. Um, the noodle rods are kind of really popular the last several years. Um, so a noodle rod is a, it's a rod. It's got a fairly uh, good backbone. There's still good curve to it to fight a fish. But the last uh, four or five um, inches is super limber. And originally these kind of developed, they were the dead stick rods. So these were the rods the guys were using as their dead stick for walleye fishing. They wanted that limber tip so they could see that minnow down, dancing around and then they could see the walleye strike. Well, pan fishermen found out that this tip also is a really good strike indicator for panfish. So a lot of guys now are using these noodle rods as their jigging rod when they're pan fishing, and they're using that tip as a strike indicator. Um, so that's something to look for. Um, spring bobbers are really, really popular right now. It's, uh, it's, it's virtually another addition, another version of these, uh, these uh, soft tip rods and the spring is what tells you when the fish bites. Um, both rods work really well for fishing crappies because crappies will do what they call the up bite, where instead of pulling the jig down, and which pulls the rod tip down or pulls the, the spring indicator down, they'll actually come up and lift the bait. So if you're fishing with a regular bobber, a lot of times you won't see that because the bobber just continues to float on the surface of the water. But if you're using a spring bobber or a soft tip rod, what you'll see is you'll see that spring actually come up because the way the jig, you know, preloads that spring, but when that crappie has an upbite, that spring will actually come up, or the tip of that soft tip rod will actually come up. And so you'll see that, and that's a, you know, set the hook, because you know you've got a crappie doing your upbite there. So that's one way that those kind of rods will really help you over fishing with a, with a bobber, you know, uh, type of setup. Um, there's a lot of really expensive graphite rods out there now. Concrete, or uh, uh, custom rods are all the rage. But I've seen a lot of guys get a really high-end graphite rod and put a spring bobber on the end. Well, the reason we use graphite is so that it transmits every twitch through the rod blank, and we can feel those bites, we can feel those light bites. So if you're using a visual system like a spring bobber or a soft tip rod, you don't need to feel it because you're already seeing it. Right. So if you want to be a spring bobber fisherman, don't put all that extra money into a, a high-end graphite rod. A nice fiberglass rod blank will do just great with the spring barber on it because you're still going to see those bites. You won't feel them, but it doesn't matter because you'll be able to visually see it. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, what about a reel or like the line? What, are, what do you typically run for test on your, on your line? So most of my rods have three pound on them, and okay. I use that um, for crappies, for bluegills, and even um, for walleyes, although I don't fish them a lot. I mean, that's probably part of the reason I still use three pounds for them is because that's what I've got in my, you know, my rod bag. Um, fluorocarbon has gotten a really big following. Um, fluorocarbon sinks pretty quickly. 
and it's virtually invisible underneath the water. So a lot of guys like that. It does tend to have a bit more memory and hold coils a little more, especially in colder weather. So that's definitely one thing that monofilament's a little better for because it's a little more limp. So um, monofilament still has a big following too in ice fishing. So there's kind of a you know a back and forth going on between those two types of line. Um, I like the fluorocarbon when I'm a little deeper because it's a little less stretch. So when I set the hook, if I'm in 30 feet of water, I don't have as much stretch as I would with the same amount of monofilament. Um, by that same token, the monofilament's got a little more cushion. So if I'm fishing shallow and I need to pull a fish and get him up to the top quickly, I like that little extra cushion when I set the hook so I know I'm not going to break him off. And then I can let the rod do the work and bring him to the top. Gotcha. Okay. So, and then, I mean, you can you can be as bait. It sounds to me like this is similar to all fishing. And you can be as basic as you want or you can go out there and spend as much money and get the highest end you know gadgets and the top notch type stuff if you really wanted to absolutely and, and it's it, it's it that permeates every facet of ice fishing from the rods i mean you can get a, an inexpensive uh fiberglass rod at walmart for 10 or 12 bucks or you can spend a hundred dollars on a custom-made graphite rod um you can spend a couple hundred bucks on an entry-level uh, flasher, you know, just a plain Jane, no zoom, no extra features, or you can spend the $600 on one that's got all the bells and whistles. Um, same goes for the clothing, same goes for the tackle. You know, you can buy cheap lead jigs for pennies, or you can spend uh, $3 for two tungsten jigs in a pack. So it's just, just kind of kind of pick your battle, see what's most important to you, which things give you the most bang for your butt in your ice fishing system, and then put you know, the majority of your funds towards that. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast, man, and talk about ice fishing. I, I feel that this is a, a really good high level introduction into ice fishing. And I know just like any outdoor hunting or fishing activity, uh, we could have got way more complicated, but I think this is a really good start for people who, um, maybe are curious about ice fishing because, uh, believe it or not, ice fishing is the fastest growing form of fishing that there is right now. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, I think this is a, a really good place to start. So Rod, I appreciate your time hopping on. Oh, not a problem. It's my pleasure. I uh, enjoy talking about it. And, uh, the more people we get into the sport, the better it's going to be. Huge shout out to Rod for coming on the podcast and chatting ice fishing with us today. If you haven't already, Go to the Iowa Sportsman website and take a look at all the cool articles that are there and subscribe to the magazine. So go out, enjoy Iowa, be outside, get some fresh air, and we'll see you next week. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.